Please could you keep your Bibles open on that page and do have a seat. And just in case uh, you've lost the page or didn't have it, it's page 1064. 1064. Uh, the other thing to do is uh, the outline of the sermon uh, on the um, uh, middle of the bulletin. Uh, might be helpful to have that uh, open in front of you as well. Uh, but John chapter 6, verses 59 uh, to the end. Now let me lead us in prayer. Our loving Father, we thank you that you have been speaking to us by your Spirit through your Word as it's been read and sung. We thank you that the words that Jesus has spoken are spirit and life. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that as we come to consider these words now, uh, that you would be at work among us, that you would draw us to Christ, that your spirit would strengthen me to, to preach these words rightly in his power. And we pray that your spirit would work in each one of our hearts, that we might respond to Jesus in the way we ought to. So please help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus is offensive. Well, that's true, isn't it? Those of us who belong to him love him. We appreciate who he really is and what he did for us by becoming flesh and dying for us on the cross. But, but to many people, Jesus is offensive. Oh, it's okay if they don't know what he did or what he said. The concept of a nice, wise teacher many years ago who, who taught people some good moral principles, well, that's okay. Oh, the concept of a prophet who came from God, speaks good things about God, well, well, that's okay. But when you meet the real Jesus and you hear what he really said, then you go one way or the other. Either you love him and follow him with everything you've got, or you recoil in horror that someone so well-respected actually taught the things he did. Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at some of the things that Jesus taught in John 6. He said to the Jews that he was the bread of life, much better than the bread that God had given their ancestors in the desert many years beforehand. No, 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 he says he's a true bread. Something that must have been terribly puzzling to the Jews until he explained the metaphor. I'm the bread of life, Jesus said in verse 35. He who comes to me shall not hunger. He who believes in me shall not thirst. And so to eat and drink Jesus meant to come to him, to, to believe in him. And so Jesus picks up this metaphor in verse 53. He says, unless you eat his flesh and drink his blood, that is, unless you come to him and believe in him, you have no life in you. Now that's offensive, isn't it? All those who will not believe in Jesus do not have eternal life. Only by believing in Jesus you have eternal life. 
But that's not the only offensive saying. Uh, in verse 37, he says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Now, that's, that verse is a great comfort to us who have come to Jesus. We, we know he will never cast us out. But, but Jesus is saying this to the Jews who refuse to come to him. And he's telling them the reason they don't come to him is because the Father hasn't given them to him. The ones whom the Father gives to me comes to me, and I give them eternal life. That's, that's offensive, isn't it? In verse 41, the Jews grumbled about him because he said he is the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, look, isn't this Jesus, verse 42, the son of Joseph? We know his father and mother. How could he say he came down from heaven? And then in verse 46, he has the cheek to say that no one's seen the father except he who is from the father, he has seen the father. In other words, I'm the only one who's seen the father because I've come from within God. Believe that if you want to have eternal life. He's got a rather high opinion of himself for a carpenter's son from a nearby village, doesn't he? Sounds pretty offensive. And so these were the things that Jesus was saying, verse 59, in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. He wasn't even in the privacy of his own home. He's saying these things in a public place, in a place of teaching and prayer. And the people who had been following him, they're, they're shocked. And you know, there were many people following him at this stage. John calls them disciples in verse 60. They're not to be confused with the 12 disciples who are much closer to him. The word disciples means learner or pupil. There were lots of people who were trailing him as pupils. He, he picked up this huge following after healing lots of sick people back in chapter 6 verse 2. And then after he, he, he fed the 5,000, he was even more popular. You've got all these people following him, but now, well, they're appalled by what he's just said. Can you imagine what they're thinking? Yes, he did miracles and, and we were impressed. And yes, he fed us lots of food and that was really good. And we've been following him because, well, he might do it again and again and we won't have to buy food anymore. But now he's telling us that the real food that he wants to give is not more loaves and fishes, but but himself. And that what that really means is, is to believe in him as the one who comes from God, the one who has an exclusive relationship with the Father like, like no one else in the world. And that coming to him and trusting in him is the only way to have eternal life. This is, this is more than we bargained for. Free meal, okay. But some such exclusive and offensive claims, that's, that's not part of the deal, is it? And so in verse 60, when many of disciples heard it, he, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? They're not just saying that the saying that Jesus is the, is the bread that came down from heaven is a hard saying in the sense of they can't understand it. It's not hard to understand. It's, it's hard to accept. It's offensive. And friends, the message of Jesus is an offensive message. Don't be surprised if, if people are offended by it. 
Give people a free meal, that's okay. But tell people that Jesus is the only way to God, well, that's a different thing entirely. And Jesus knows his disciples are upset. Verse 61, Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Do you? Do you? If they can't handle Jesus' claim to be the bread of life, huh, would they believe if they, if they saw him ascending glory? Verse 62, then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Uh, the Son of Man is the one the Old Testament said would rule the world forever. And these people, well, I think they'll be even more offended that the guy they knew as a kid from the other village is sitting on the eternal throne of God's kingdom. Remember how Jesus said to Nicodemus that unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And it's, the only, it's only the Holy Spirit who gives new birth. Well, Jesus says the same thing in another way here in verse 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. No one can give themselves eternal life by their own effort. It's only the Spirit who does that. And when Jesus spoke these words to them, these words that he spoke were, verse 63, spirit and life. These are words that come from the Spirit, and if they would listen to them and believe them, they would have eternal life. But even in those crowds that were following Jesus, among those people who considered themselves his disciples, there were some in verse 64 who do not believe. And that is no surprise to Jesus. For verse 64 continues, For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe. And in fact it goes on, and who it was who would betray him. Jesus knew that many of those who were with him were not true believers. They would eventually drop out, even one of them being Judas. And he says in verse 65, that is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. You see, there would be people who appear to be with Jesus and then they fall away. But Jesus says, actually, they weren't really his in the first place. Only those given by the Father would come. Jesus would keep them, but the only people who really belong to him are those given by the Father. You know, there are people who come to church but don't really belong to Jesus. Jesus knows who they are. I don't because I'm not Jesus. But there are, in, well, in all likelihood, there are people sitting here today who are not here because they, they feed on Jesus. Not, they're not here because they, they trust in Jesus, they believe in Jesus but for some other reason. Now, don't get me wrong. If that's you, you are very welcome here. We're so glad that you're coming here. 
please keep coming. Because we hope that as you hear the word of God week after week, that the Spirit, through that word, would, would give you life, that God would, would draw you to Christ. But there will be people in a group this size who, who, who look like they're followers of Jesus, but are actually not true believers. who haven't been given to the Son, who don't have the Spirit and, and don't have eternal life. And, and in years to come, when we sit around and discuss old friends, someone will say, oh, what happened to so-and-so? And the sad and disappointing answer will be, oh, they, they no longer consider themselves a Christian. And Jesus would say, they were, they were never actually mine in the first place. No one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. And those who are given by the Father will never be snatched from his hand. Well, Jesus' prediction that his disciples would fall away actually turns out to be the catalyst that causes them to do so, which paradoxically vindicates his word. Where the second point in the outline in and we read in verse 66 that after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. This is all too much for them. They leave. And Jesus doesn't try to stop them. He doesn't say, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. No, those, those exclusive claims, those, those difficult, bet the offensive stuff, no, don't take that too seriously. Oh, I've said some tough things, but I'm, I can tone down, you know. I'm sure I'm the way to eternal life for my followers, but, you know, I can accept there are other people who might have other ways to eternal life. Yes, 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 you should eat and drink me, but, you know, there's a wideness to God's menu. Uh, we can't be too exclusive. And see, that, that thing about me being the, the, the only one who's seen the Father, don't take it like I'm actually God or anything like that. It's just that I've got a clearer vision than most people. And yes, the Father gives me people, but that's only because he knows that they're going to freely choose me anyway, so you can still be the boss. Let me persuade you to stay. In fact, would you like some more loaves and fishes? I, I, I feel a miracle coming on. Well, Jesus doesn't do that, does he? What Jesus is on about is not numbers, it's truth. And if by telling the truth about God and about himself he loses all his followers, well, he's okay with that. He doesn't try to pander to what people want to hear. He doesn't tailor his message to be popular. He, he speaks the truth and he's willing to pay the price. And friends, if that is the policy of our master, then that must be our policy as well. We're not here to make up the policy, we're here to implement it. And Jesus says, truth above numbers. And so we prioritize truth above numbers. We mustn't water down our message so that more people will come. We mustn't preach for popularity, whether it's at church or in our small groups or in guest events or in our private sharings of the gospel. Now, we mustn't be obnoxious, and we must be careful not to be offensive in and of ourselves, but we mustn't water down the gospel to make it more believable. 
We mustn't sterilize the gospel to make it less offensive. We mustn't change the gospel to make it something that could be, you know, made up by the mass marketing people. You know, come to Jesus, he'll solve all your problems. The true gospel is offensive. It tells people they are sinners. That's, that's offensive. It tells people the only way to be saved is to believe that Jesus died for them and rose again. That's offensive. It demands that people recognize the deity of Christ and the uniqueness of God's revelation in him. That's, that's offensive. But only the gospel can save. Preach the truth like Jesus and many people will be offended by you. But those whom the Father has given him will come to him and receive eternal life. Just preach what people want to hear and many more people will follow you all the way to hell. Most of Jesus' disciples leave him at this point. But not the twelve, his closest disciples. Twelve was a significant number because it represented the people of Israel, which was made up of twelve tribes. And in the Old Testament, God had chosen the people of Israel. And, and Jesus had chosen these twelve to be the, the nucleus of the new Israel. And so when the rest of the disciples leave, in verse 67, uh, Jesus says to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? And Peter answers on behalf of the whole group, verse 68. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. The words of Jesus, they are not words to tickle the ears or to please the crowd. They are the words that bring eternal life to those who believe. There is no one else like that. Only he has the words of eternal life. And so still on behalf of the twelve, John, uh, 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 Peter continues, uh, verse 69, and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter and the other disciples, they are the true believers. They are the ones who stay on when everyone else leaves Jesus. Peter is sure that, that Jesus is the Holy One of God. In the Old Testament, the Holy One usually refers to God himself, although on one occasion it refers to the Messiah. And Peter knows and believes that Jesus is that Holy One. And that represents the position of most of us here today, isn't it? We have believed and come to know that Jesus is the Holy One of God. We have come to accept him both as God and the one who comes from God. We have come to accept his teachings and, and continue to follow him, even though we are fully aware that other people find it offensive. But we still come to Jesus. Not because we're more clever or more virtuous than the people who don't, but because the Father loves us and chose us and gave us to Jesus. And because the Spirit, through the Word, has given us new life. Well, Peter thinks he's been speaking on behalf of the twelve. But now Jesus answers. Verse 70. Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. 
he spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. <laughs> even Judas, even, even the fact that he was one of the twelve didn't mean he was saved. He didn't really believe and know that Jesus is the Holy One of God. He was not given to Jesus by the Father. Even though he was one of the twelve. Well, friends, there may be church leaders, there may be pastors, there may be reverends, people in positions of power and authority in churches who are not true believers. God is sovereign. He, he will use them. Like, like, like God used the treachery of Judas to fulfill prophecy and to bring his son to the cross where he would die for our sins. But you won't see them in heaven. Because after they've done all the damage they're going to do, they will fall away. They were never really given to Christ in the first place. Well, what do we learn and take away from this very sobering passage? Well, we can summarize five short things that, that I think are the implications that we, that we see here. Uh, first of all, we've heard the call to believe in Jesus. Believe that he really is God-made man that he really can give eternal life to those who believe in him because he really did die on the cross to take the punishment of our sins and, and rise again as Lord and King of all. We all need to come to him and believe in him. He's the source of eternal life. Secondly, we've seen that, that people will fall away. That there may be people who are here today who will not last the distance, who will be offended by the words of Jesus and will either so twist them that the words become so bland that the Jesus they follow is not the real Jesus, or they give up on the Christian faith altogether. Don't, don't be surprised if that happens. It even happened to the followers of Jesus as he walked this earth. Just don't let it be you. Thirdly, we've been given an example by Jesus of trust in God's sovereignty. Jesus knew that his words are spirit and life. They come from the spirit. They give eternal life. And he speaks that truth. He speaks the truth even though he knows that many people will leave. But he isn't afraid to do it because he knows that God is sovereign in salvation and that all the Father has given him will come to him. And those who come to him and believe will have eternal life. Trust God and speak the truth. He is sovereign, he will save. Fourthly, don't be a hurry. Don't, be careful not to fall away yourself. 
If we leave Jesus, where do we go? There is no one else who has the words of eternal life. And friends, that's an important thing to realize, isn't it? In a pluralistic world, knowing God is not like going shopping in Giant. Right? You don't like this brand of detergent. Now, why not? You just choose another brand. Right? Because all your clothes will, will still get washed. But no, no, no. We may not like what Jesus says. We, we, we might even find it offensive, but tough. We, we don't get to make up the gospel. Well, not the real one anyway. And frankly, there is nowhere else to go. There's only one person who can give us eternal life. We have to deal with him. But as God's Spirit works his life-giving power in our hearts, we will learn not only to accept the things that others find offensive, but also appreciate why, why they have to be right and love the God who ordered the things in that way for our good and his glory. Finally, I like this one. Don't blame the preacher if you don't like the message. And don't blame the preacher if your friends don't like the message either. Of course, if we are being unfaithful to the Scriptures, then you mustn't let that pass. And of course, if we are being offensive in and of ourselves, that's not right either. But if we are truly preaching the Word of God, then we are doing our job. And our job is not to tell people what they want to hear. Our job is to repeat the life-giving, spirit-inspired words of the Holy One of God. For we believe and know that He alone has the words of eternal life. Let's pray. Father, it's sobering to consider that many people who saw the miracles and heard the voice of Jesus turned away from him and were offended by his words. Father, have mercy upon us, we pray, and may we not be among their number. May each of us be those whom you draw to Christ and find our salvation in him. May we be those who keep on following him even though there are things we find hard and, and issues we need to wrestle with. Help us to do that in an attitude of trust, knowing that you are God, that you are good, that you love us and that in the end we have nowhere else to go for your son alone has the words of eternal life please also help us as we seek to win others to Christ help us to be winsome and gracious and loving and kind that help us not to water down the gospel to make it more palatable. 
Help us to faithfully proclaim those words of life which have been given to us by your Son. To hold him up as the one true God who died for us, the one whom we must all believe in order to have eternal life. And as we share your words, may your spirit work in many hearts and may you draw people to your son. We ask these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.